This is how it's going to start. This is it. Yeah. I, t- I, told, uh, I told you I was going to get started now, didn't I? I was explicit about this being the beginning. I just, I just said it, okay? It's me, uh, Mark McPhee, the double bee sting paradise pusher. That is, if you get stung twice in the same spot by the same bee. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is me, Jimmy Jason, also known as Jimmy Jackson, also known as David Pepperhouse. You're a round table pizza expert, the guy who pulls the pepperoni off and puts them in his pockets for later for a special grease trap in his own self-interest. Here we are. This is Live to Tape. Also known as Live to Top, also known as Live to Tape, the Executive Buffet, here only on this spot that we call the Executive Buffet, where the eggs, the eggs are always bad. At the Executive Buffet in the mezzanine level of the downtown hotel where we're broadcasting from, don't get the eggs. The eggs are dregs, stick to bacon and pancakes, unless you get like a special omelet station. You know, the omelet station, that's, that's, you can do that. This is Live to Tape. If you want to engage deeper on a more significant level with Daddy's Big Red Truck, it's patreon.com slash live to tape. That's patreon.com slash live to tape. Please also rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It's easy to do, and it's, you know, it's, it's just extra water from the ocean. Everyone wants more water in the ocean, don't we? I want more. This is a great episode. This is a wonderful episode. Repeat guest. This is one of my favorite guests I've ever had in the podcast. He's He has a wonderful podcast of his own. It's called Tooth and Claw. You've heard him before. His name is Wes Larson, also known as The Grizz Kid. Just the most interesting, knowledgeable, cool guy. We talk about animals. Oh, I love it. I just love it. This is like my, my favorite kind of thing to talk about. We could talk for hours and we will talk for hours over the course of time as it exists in a linear fashion. But today, enjoy this conversation with Wesley Larson. Um, you've done, yeah, you've done some traveling, right? You, I did actually. Like, yeah, I was just thinking about that because I, I always forget. I, I, just on, on a daily basis, I always forget just stuff that's happened recently, and I'm always like, oh yeah, I spent like three days in Kruger Park. That was like the right. coolest three days of my life. Just about. And I always forget that. I need to like, yeah. remind myself about that because it was so significant. Did you see all the all the critters out there that you wanted to see? I saw so much more than I thought I was going to see. It was yeah. unbelievable. I was prepared to see just a couple things. I figured like I, I did a bunch of reading and thought, okay, I'm not going to see a leopard. That's not going to happen. Uh-huh. The first game drive in the afternoon, we saw a leopard. We got the be so close to it for about 45 minutes this That's young amazing. male leopard just kept walking around he was walking right by the road 
That's he laid so down cool. this little hill and looked at us. He was like marking yeah. and spraying. You could smell it. You could smell like the must of his spray. Yeah. It was so cool, man. It was like that's, the kind of thing. You know, that's a, a beautiful thing when you get to smell an animal's musk. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I really couldn't smell it. I was, because yeah. I'm such a smell guy. Like I love, I feel like for me, like I, I, I orient myself with smells. Like a lot of times, like if I plant. Like a bear. Oh, really? Is that how they mainly yeah. get around with smells? Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I mean, it's like yeah. we talked about before how bears are, they're just humans. They're just big, yeah. bulky humans, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yeah. yeah. Did you, did you um, just do like the game drives that the park provides then? Like the... uh, We stayed at two different places and we stayed two, two nights in one place and then one night in the other. And they were part of the, like the, the staying in the place. Like it was part Amazing. of, it came with the uh, accommodations and everything. Cool. Yeah. When I went there, um, I had been, I'd gone to South Africa to, to help out with a pangolin study. Oh, right. Okay. Um, this is in what, 2019 or 2020? 2019. Yeah. I think it was okay. like right before we talked last time. I know. And, uh, Ironic. Yeah. And then I had, we actually saw a wild pangolin, which maybe we talked about that, but it was like did, the, yeah. the game driver's first time ever seeing one. And it was just wow. so cool. Yeah. They're that elusive the pangolins are? Yeah. The, it was like a once in a lifetime, he said. I didn't so realize it's, it's hard, that. To, at least in Kruger. In other places, I think it's okay. You, there's some places around South Africa where they have like a resident pangolin that they can find yeah. pretty easily, but in Kruger, it's it's tricky. So we're pretty we're pretty stoked about that. But what part? You know, of this Kruger is old you? hat. We've talked about it. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we talked about. Did we talk about Kruger though? Last time you were here? Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, I can't remember what part we were. I think we were by Crocodile Bridge. Okay. If that I think makes I know what you're talking sense. about. Yeah. Yeah. Crocodile um, Bridge. That sounds uh, we it's kinda, like the southern part, isn't it? I think so. We did our we did like a self tour for most of it where we just right. rented a car and drove around. And then we did one guided night tour. And that's the way to go cuz we saw a cheetah, we saw the pangolin, saw cheetah. we saw Yeah, we saw some really cool stuff. Um wow. wild dogs. Uh, oh, the wild dogs, we saw them we saw them right when we were getting picked up at the airport in Kruger. On the oh, way cool. to our first place, they were hanging out about a mi- less than a mile outside the airport. It's like Amazing. 10 of them. Those yeah. things are the most interesting animals. They're so bizarre. They look so cool. They're so yeah. beautiful looking. But they're, they're also, do you know much about them? Yeah, I, I helped on a wild dog study as well. Um, oh, wow. And they, they're amazing animals. They're like some of the most coordinated hunters in the entire animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the only other animals that really give them a run for their money are like orca, maybe lions. Wow. But wild dogs, I mean, they, they do this whole thing where they break apart into different groups and they kind of know exactly what everyone's role is to chase down an animal. It's just really, they're fascinating. They have a really a really dynamic social structure within their, their packs. Um, they do? What is so it like? I'm a big fan. What's it like? Yeah, there's their social structure. Like, what is the... Uh... Because I mean, I know a little bit about lions from that trip, and that seems just so complicated and like just exhausting to be. Yeah, a lion. I I think the main difference between like wild dogs and lions is that it isn't um, like the sexes aren't so responsible for like a okay. specific thing. You know, right. I think with wild dogs, you have both of them hunting. Um, you know, I'm not gonna. I can't go into a ton of detail with them mm-hmm. just because I. I'm not, I just helped on a project. I'm not like an expert with wild dogs, but what I do know is just that those relationships with wild dogs are much more, um, 
think intense would be the the right word than than you see in a lot of other animals like they've even mm-hmm. shown um like that if there's an injured dog or an older dog that has a harder time feeding that the dogs will actually the other members of the pack will actually feed that animal first wow. um, because they recognize that that animal's in special need and that's just not something you see often like in the animal kingdom that kind of um altruism that's I was a really ready for you to say thing. the opposite, actually. I was ready for you to say, like, oh, if it's a slow one, they just they eat it because, that's, you know. I mean, that's typical. That's usually what you see, or they leave it right. to die or whatever because it's generally an animal is only really concerned about its survival, you know, mm-hmm. or its its ability to reproduce, its, its offspring survival, its survival, but they don't really care about a non-related pack member necessarily or pride member or whatever. But with wild dogs, there's this altruism that, that yeah again is very very rare you see it in a few other animals like ants and bees and some other animals that have altruism but it's not it's often rare. in mammals do it's not common no wow, no i didn't know that so does yeah. that mean like with those with the wild dogs then are how closely related to uh like dogs we have are they related to they're not far off i mean they're they're canidae they're like in in the canine family so um you know the dogs that we have Canis familiaris is like, uh, we're not, I, I'm sure there's someone that has traced back their genealogy to kind of right. figure out what the common ancestor is, but essentially it's, it's like a wolf, you know, like that's Canis lupus, right? Yeah. Canis lupus is, is and, the gray wolf and that's the same species throughout the world. And those um, can interbreed with dogs with, with like, our they can. Dogs? Yeah. Yeah. With, you know, usually it's dogs that are, that are pretty closely related like that haven't mm-hmm. gone that far from the original form like so an Akita like, or something like yeah that. like a malamute or a husky or something like that but i don't think it'd be impossible for them to mate with a lot of other species too or what about breeds. wild dogs then you what about think, them you think they can inter uh interbreed with uh our like a wolf know, or, or with what, our dogs like, yeah my my german shepherd can she have babies with a wild dog you think I imagine so. And I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember if that's an issue. Um, like if there is some hybridizing that's happening Mm -hmm. in Africa and that's maybe one of the problems for wild dogs is, is that I don't feel like it is, but it could be. Um, cause when you do have that happen, when you have a wild species that's able to hybridize with the domestic species, it can be a huge threat for them. Um, a Uh good example of that is dingoes in, in Australia. They're, they were a domestic dog that like they're not totally sure who brought them over like maybe early chinese explorers or someone um brought those dingoes to australia they were released they turned into essentially a wild animal uh they kind of reverted back to to what wild dogs used to be and now they're starting to hybridize with um just like rural dogs again and that's it messes up their gene pool it messes up kind of like okay you no longer have purely wild dingoes anymore. You have this kind of dog, you know? Um, so that, that, that can happen. And when that does happen with wild animals, it, it can be a pretty big um, problem. With the wild dogs, they also mentioned that they're such efficient hunters that a lot of um, uh, people want to get rid of them. A lot of ranchers and people like that killed them because they, they're just so effective at, at killing like livestock that they, they get rid of them. I guess the populations of wild dogs are very extremely endangered. Yeah, they're pretty endangered. Um, and yeah, that's part of the threat for them is just competition with ranchers. Um, and 
and people seeing them as like a nuisance animal. Uh, the, the project that I helped out with was fascinating. I can't remember if we talked about this before, but essentially what they were trying to do is extend the range of wild dogs again, like put them back in places where they existed historically. And so they would get males and females, groups of males and then groups of females from these places in Southern Africa where wild dogs are, are doing really well. Um, and so they'll take a group of each and they take them to part of their historical range and these dogs all show up, they sedate them. And this, I got to do this with them. Uh, you pull out all the females, you pull out all the males, you put them in this big enclosure, uh, called like a boma. It's like usually a, a, boma, a number yeah. of acres. Yeah. Yeah. Like a number of acres that has like wild habitat in it. And you have the dogs in there and while they're sedated, we would just rub them all over each other. Um, oh, wow. and we would like, we would go as Dude, far as to like, that's so put funny. our hand. Yeah. We'd put our fingers in their buttholes and pull oh, out. Like, okay. I didn't pull expect out feces and stuff. Yeah. That's one of the best worst sentences I've ever heard. Yeah. Put our fingers in their buttholes and pull yeah. out feces. But you rub it all over their uh. faces because that's <laughs> oh like, God. there's, there's like no stronger scent, you know? Yeah. And so they wake up. They smell these other dogs that like have, you know, the, they have yeah. their scent all over them and they're like, oh, I don't necessarily recognize this dude, but I do, I do smell like him. So I know that like there's a connection and that so they don't so just funny. wake up and kill each other. Um, it still takes weeks or even months for them to like bond as a pack, but they don't show the aggression that you'd typically see if they just wake up and there's an, like an unknown dog there with them. That um, is so that's like two people waking up after blacking out at a party and like yeah. wake up in the same bed together <laughs> just like, okay <laughs> so we must know each other but uh i don't remember your name you don't remember my name but totally we didn't exactly. kill or each you, other yeah you wake up with a stranger God, in your bed or something that's exactly so funny man i've never heard of that i mean i uh, that's fucking insane i can't believe that's real yeah so the, the group the doing that go to it's cool the group doing that is called um endangered wildlife trust Mm-hmm. And they've managed to reestablish wild dogs in a lot of Man. places that they had historical range and it's working, it's working pretty well. So it's a really neat, like tangible conservation success story that I, That's that I got to help out on for a few days. That was really a, an honor. Do you know why they have such white teeth? Does that make sense to you? Cause I feel like I, the ones I saw, I couldn't believe how white their teeth were yeah. for a wild animal. The only thing I can think of is just the amount of bone that they're chewing on all the time. Okay. Um, Cause they, they really like those dogs just eat everything. Like they really go for it. And my dog, I think about her, like sometimes her breath is, is smelly and we'll Mm -hmm. give her like a raw bone and she'll go out and just chew on it for hours. And then when she comes back in, she's got great breath because she scraped all the the shit off of her teeth. Yeah. So that's my only thought. I don't know. That makes sense. It totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There was a guess. That was something that I was really surprised about to see in South in uh, in Kruger. Uh, something else we saw we saw a honey badger, just really briefly oh, cool. running across the road, and I saw it right away, and yeah. I didn't know what it was. But that so those are what family are the honey badgers in? Um, my guess would be mustelidae. Is that like, like a, the so mustelids? Is that the same as a wolverine? Isn't that like a wolverine? Yeah. I think so. I might be misspeaking here. I'm trying to remember the weasel family. They're in the weasel yeah. family. Okay. Um, Which is not the know, same. I'm as just the gonna must... check myself really quick. Because I was uh, I always getting to sometimes I'll, when I'm stoned or something, I'll I'll get on the uh, the genealogy train and I'll start like yeah, looking yeah. up. Okay, wait. 
this these animals a lot of animals that look similar like that are not related sometimes like you yeah it's weird they are in mastillidae okay so it's not um which is like essentially like the weasel family right yeah it's a big it's a cool that's such a cool family i think it's the coolest cool family. family of animals yeah uh commonly like though they're called like miso carnivores so they're an animal that exists in between these like tiny carnivores and then mm-hmm. you're kind of apex carnivores uh so like you know badgers wolverines coyotes foxes all of those animals are miso carnivores and they are just like a fascinating group of animals yeah. what the yeah. guy was telling us is that the honey badgers don't get messed with by the lions at all because uh, a bad honey badger will claw off the testicles of a lion <laughs> They'll just rip them off. I don't know about that. Some crazy shit like that. (laughs) I mean, it's not, I mean, who knows what's, Yeah. the way she explained it, it sounded like, sounded legit because you said that they don't get, um, the honey badgers don't get messed with by lions ever for some reason. Yeah. So, I mean, I would be, I would be, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to dispute a guide's information, but yeah. yeah, but I, I would be surprised if that was like their technique to go for okay, its yeah. nuts. Well, that's um, what I said. What I is, would that seems so specific. Yeah. What I would say is that, uh, you know, the thing that's the big difference between those two animals is that a big cat, like a lion, um, and lions are somewhat of an exception for this because they do hunt in pride. So like each individual cat isn't important as so much the pride is, you know, doing this hunting. Um, but like with big cats, they need every single muscle in their body to hunt and bring down prey. It's like if, if you have a mountain lion out in the woods and it breaks its ankle or it, you know, hurts its shoulder or something, it's there's a good chance that it no longer is able to bring down prey and it's mm-hmm. going to die of starvation. That's like even a minor injury mm-hmm. can, can affect it. Whereas like an animal like a bear or a wolverine or a badger has this huge variety of food sources that it exploits and it can eat. And so they can sustain an injury and still survive, you know, like they can, they have the time for that injury to heal because mm-hmm. they're just going to eat like a carcass or they're going to eat berries or whatever else. They have that plasticity yeah. built in. And so the reason I'm bringing all this up is like if a lion gets in a fight with a badger, the lion might be much more hesitant, even though it knows it can kill that badger, like without oh, a doubt, it, doesn't get it might be more hesitant to engage because if it sustains an injury, it could be fatal. And the badger's kind of like, fuck this lion. I'm just going to go for it because like, I'm, I know that it isn't going to engage with me because Mm -hmm. it doesn't want to get hurt, you know? That's interesting. Um, Yeah. So that, I I mean, I may be giving them a little bit too much credit, but that is kind of something you see in nature sometimes is these animals that are a little bit more robust are a little bit more, um, like willing to engage okay yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah because those those badgers and wolverines are just so tough they they're like the toughest animals aren't they they're very they tough seem like yeah it. especially wolverines seem... especially like oh, wolverines ultimate. people people that i know that study wolverines say that like when you when you follow it like the gps trail of an animal and you all have all these little points mm-hmm. like a bear for example you'll see it using the like the saddles and the valleys and kind of the easiest terrain to navigate. Right. And a wolverine, it's just like a straight line. It just, just doesn't give a shit. Where it wants yeah. to go. We may have talked about this before, but there's this great documentary I watched years ago called Chasing the Phantom about wolverines. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. Uh, I think we did 
bring this up. Yeah. yeah. I just think yeah. about I, I never get tired of thinking about it. It was my voicemail forever was, uh, I'm going to go where I want to go, bite where <laughs> yeah. I want to bite and climb what I want to climb. Like some guy yeah, with a thick exactly. Michigander accent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're a cool animal. Very cool. So you, yeah. most recently you were doing some stuff with sharks, right? Yeah. I just got back, um, from the Bahamas. It was a, a trip that I'd had on my radar for a long time to see great hammerhead sharks. Um, oh, in this little island called Bimini. Wait, what um, are is that? Is there a difference between a great hammerhead and a hammerhead? Yeah, there's a number of species of hammerhead shark. Okay. Um, and the one that is like most common that you see in these huge schools are called scalloped hammerheads. They're a little smaller. Um, great hammerheads have this massive, massive dorsal fin, and they're one of the largest macro predatory sharks. So. Um, like a macro predatory shark is one that's eating like fish, turtles, mm-hmm. larger animals, not just like, you know, little krill and, and shit right. like that. Um, so they're, they're a big shark. They're really a really beautiful, amazing animal. And there's a spot in Bimini where they're, you know, they're just there every day. Uh, they come in, they have like a, you know, a chum bucket or whatever. And you can see these incredible sharks every every once in a while you get lucky there and a tiger shark comes in too and there's tons of nurse sharks um just a really a really cool spot and a spot that has lots of um there's lots of shark conservationists that work out of bimini Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of like cool conservation that's going on in the area as well did you get to swim at all in proximity with them yeah we did we we had a really rough day and it it was looking like we weren't going to be able to get in the water like weather wise Um, or otherwise yeah, like weather, like the, okay. the, the waves, the seas were, the seas were angry that day. <laughs> and, uh, Did you get seasick? The, I don't, but my, oh, all my friends seasick. that I was with got seasick. You did not. Everyone but you got seasick. Actually, one of my, one of my other friends didn't, but the okay. other four did. Do you take any um, preparations for that or you just have like. Nah, I'm, I got a thing. pretty good stomach when it comes okay. to that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but they put us in the water. The current was pretty crazy, so mm-hmm. we didn't get a very long dive. Uh, but we had great visibility. We saw t- three different great hammerheads, a ton of nurse sharks. Um, and the day before, we had done this dolphin snorkel trip with these wild dolphins that was just insane. Like, that was yeah. the highlight for me. Uh, it was great. I, I'm a, I'm based out of Montana, so anytime I can get out of the, the winter for a oh, week yeah. or two is always the best. So it was great. With those sharks, when you're diving with the sharks, do you feel... I mean, is it dangerous at all? It's got to be somewhat dangerous, right? Yeah, you know, in in this kind of circumstance, like these tour companies or these dive shops that do this are mm-hmm. so, they have it so nailed down that they eliminate 95% of the danger. There is always the chance that something could happen. But uh, I think the bigger dangers are much more like the current or, really? you know, your your regulator falling out of your mouth or something like that. It's not so much the animal they've just really got their behavior nailed down um what are they doing to 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 do that to mitigate that i mean like they had specific spots for us to 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 wait for the sharks where we were holding on to like um like a post that was in the the ground Mm -hmm. and then they just went through this whole long briefing of exactly what to do if the shark approaches you uh also great hammerheads aren't really a shark that's been implicated in many attacks on people um if a tiger shark shows up, there's always the the possibility of something yeah. happening. But they, I don't know, they, they're a misunderstood animal. You know, it's like 
generally when they do attack a person, there's this this whole sequence of of like things that are there, um, circumstances that lead to those kind of encounters, and these dive shops do their best to eliminate any of those kind of circumstances. But these are really big sharks, right? These are the great. These are they very are. large. So it's yes. the kind of thing where it's not like a small reef shark or something that if it bites you, you would get injured. This is like an animal that would be this. This would might likely kill you or at least cause like an injury that would be you'd have to get yeah. immediate medical attention because it's so big right they're, they're, they're exactly huge. this is a shark that's more than capable of killing a person um right a single bite wouldn't do it okay unless really it just not with these? was unless it like got your artery and you couldn't get to help in time or something um yeah i don't think i don't think a single bite from one of them would, would do it probably or if it like got your head Maybe I don't know. Yeah, if you stuck your head in there. Yeah, <laughs> then then it, then I guess it would do it. But um, yeah, you know, this wasn't one where I there was never a point on this on this dive where I was even the slightest bit concerned. Wow, it wasn't, I got. Yeah, I do want to do that sometime. I only saw I only seen a shark one time when I was snorkeling in the Bahamas, and it was so thrilling. I want to get closer to it, but I, I lost sight of it and I went away. Yeah, it wasn't that big of a shark, but it was still a shark. Yeah, something about it. It's it doesn't feel dangerous in the moment. I don't know why. It, yeah, it's part of it's probably just because they're so incredibly beautiful underwater. Yeah, like, they're so big. The way a shark moves through the water, it and it. Yeah, they're just. Again, generally when people do have negative encounters, and I say generally because you never know. You might have that yeah. shark that just decides a person is food, but generally it's because there's this. They've created a circumstance where the shark sees them as a potential meal mm-hmm. but it's all these different factors that are playing into that um you know i started this podcast called tooth and claw where oh yeah this is, big fan this is yeah thank you i do love it man i gotta say i was about to about to give you a shout out without you without you having to do it but you know <laughs> you took care of it yeah tooth and claw well, all it, about it led right attacks. into it um we talk a lot about sharks like mm-hmm. they're an animal that is featured heavily on the podcast i mean it's fast people are fascinated by sharks but for good reason right and like the the whole point of this of the podcast is to talk about attacks and like mm-hmm. and why you know the news often portrays these attacks as like a bloodthirsty monster that's, yeah. that's seeked out a, you know seeking out a meal but really it's like an animal behaving naturally when a person makes a mistake or does something that puts themselves in jeopardy and sharks are a great example of that it's like often people that are swimming in murky water at like dawn or dusk or near mm-hmm. some kind of attractant, you know, like whether there's a lot of fish activity or a dead whale or something around that just, you shouldn't, you just need to pay attention to your surroundings, you know? Right. And and that's not always the case. Like we just did a story of a girl in the Bahamas who was killed by a tiger shark and it would just, she was just snorkeling and the shark decided to go for it. And like, it it is, it's very interesting to me that there's so many different things that go into these, these stories but um, where was I going? Oh, yeah. The thing about sharks that's especially fascinating, I think, and maybe you'll agree with this, is I think when it comes to people's fear of animals, that's one that really stands out. And I do think it's just because you're in an environment that's so outside of your control. Right. Yeah, you can't really move. Humans are not designed for the water. You can't move effectively. It's all this stuff. That, yeah, you can't hear as well. All the thing, All your things are limited, so it feels very scary. Right, right. And like, mm-hmm. I do think like the horror of being eaten by an animal, 
I think a bear is so much worse or like dogs are so much worse, like the actual process of it. Oh my God. Like yeah. a, a shark finishes you off pretty quickly. Like mm-hmm. there, it's such a devastating bite that it doesn't take long, but like, so the actual attack I don't think is scarier. It's just the fact that you're in this, this environment that you have no control over. And this animal is shooting out of the darkness, you know, right, it, it's below you and you can't breathe underwater. Yeah. It's yeah. super terrifying. Yeah. But that's also what makes me like want to, I just want to, uh, I need to learn how to dive again. I learned in college, mm-hmm. but it's been so long. I think I've kind of forgotten the fundamentals of it, but I want to learn to dive again so I can, yeah, get with those fucking sharks and get a little bit scared. But at the same time, it's not scary because you can't be it's, scared if you're scuba diving because you got to relax, <laughs> man. <laughs> it's their domain, you know, it, it yeah. belongs to them. And, and we, we pose a, like a, million time bigger fold risk to them than they ever do to us. So I, I just kind of, the thing that we say on the podcast, like there are all these things you can do to avoid an encounter, all these things you can do in an encounter to get out of it safely, but there always still is the risk Mm -hmm. that that encounter is going to go badly. And that's just the risk you take when you go in the ocean. Like that's just something like, I hate the phrase shark infested waters (laughs) <laughs> because it's like what do you like that's just waters like that's yeah, the ocean waters. you know like it's human infested waters is what mm-hmm. it is like we don't belong there they belong there so i don't know i, I also them. think that if you want to see something you're not going to get bitten by it generally because yeah. i want to see rattlesnakes all the time i've always want to see a rattlesnake yeah. i've been hiking in southern california hills and stuff for you know 15 years mm-hmm. i've only seen a rattlesnake twice twice two times yeah Yeah. all these people who are scared of rattlesnakes i'm like i want to i want to see one (laughs) i would love to see a rattlesnake i saw the one i saw was right in the middle of the trail it was a big mama and there's like a little baby next to it and you can see it clear as day it wasn't like a danger you just go around the thing i would love to see more of them but i don't i don't think i see them because i want to see them so bad same with bears i've only seen a bear like once from really far away it was inside the car I would mm-hmm. love to see one off the trail, like see one yeah. from, you know, 30, 40 yards away. I would love to see that. Hasn't happened. I can, I can help you with that. I can okay. put you in the right place. Dude, I've got to see one <laughs> with of those. With both I, of those. I really do want to see some, I really do have to see a big bear at some point. I yeah. mean, a grizzly would be cool, but from what I've learned from your podcast and just otherwise is that grizzlies are, they're not the same as black bears. Isn't that right? They're not. That's just so, very, it's so scary to me to think that these animals, they're, they're basically the same thing. Some of them look very similar to the untrained yeah. eye, but they behave differently. One you very can scare and one you like do not want to try to scare away, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot that, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, mm-hmm. Like, first of all, most people in the United States don't have to worry about grizzly bears because they don't live in grizzly habitat. Yeah. Um, unless you're in Wyoming, Montana, Alaska, or like a tiny bit of Idaho and Washington, you don't have to worry about grizzlies. Like Wyoming? not there. Yeah, Wyoming, like around Yellowstone, down into the um, down into a lot of those mountain ranges mm-hmm. below Yellowstone, like around Jackson, there's they have a healthy grizzly population. Um, but uh, they are they're very different bears, and and a lot of that is like a result of their evolution and what they've evolved to um to do and and with black bears they've evolved to be a tree climbing really arboreal species and so Mm -hmm. 
a black bear in general isn't going to be a very aggressive bear because they are constantly around terrain where they can get away. They're constantly around trees that they can get up much quicker than just about anything else. Oh, and they're so safe cool up to there. see them go up there. Just, they just yeah. fly up a tree. Right. And it's a safe spot for them. And so they have evolved much more to be a flight animal than a fight animal. Um, and grizzlies, on the other hand, evolved out in the plains on these edges, like these meadows on the edges of forests because they're, they're digging bears. They like to dig. They, a lot of their food comes from digging in the ground. Really? That's why they have that. Yeah, that's why they have that really pronounced hump on their back um, because that's all just for digging. That That's you, just muscle that goes oh, for digging. Oh, I did not. That's crazy. Yeah, lots of vegetation, uh, ground squirrels, uh, like squirrel caches of nuts and stuff. They're constantly, when you watch wow. grizzly bears, they are constantly digging. And because of that, like they've got their face down. They're not. You know, they're digging. They have these long claws that aren't great for climbing um, that they've evolved to dig. And so they've evolved a much more aggressive response to a threat or another bear or anything Mm -hmm. um, because they don't have that kind of ready escape that a black bear has. So grizzly bears are much more aggressive. Um, That's not to say, like, there are very safe ways to see grizzly bears. You can watch a grizzly bear from your car and not have to worry about it. I had dozens of grizzly bears within a couple you know dozen like so much as like walking right in front of my car last year and they just don't care if you're in a car you're very safe in a car Mm -hmm. for the most part i shouldn't say that's like a hard rule but for the most part you are um but they they're they're a bear that if you encounter on the trail or whatever if you surprise it and it doesn't have the the space it wants to be able to run away like say you round a corner and there's a bear right there you've you've removed that like safety space for it. And so it's like, Oh, this is a threat. I'm, I'm fucking knock it over. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm going to knock this thing down and I'm going to neutralize it because I can't run away. I don't have the space. Um, so that's why if you are in grizzly country, it's really smart to make plenty of noise while you're hiking to make sure you're hiking in groups. You're giving those bears a lot of, you know, time to anticipate your arrival. And if they have that, they're going to get out of there. They don't want anything to do with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like that. Is that what? That's what bear bells are, right? Is that the idea? Is you're making yeah, but sound they, all the time? They, they don't really work. <laughs> oh, really? How, they're not loud enough, or what is it about bear bells that don't work? There's just not a there's not a biological significance to that tinkling sound for okay. a bear. There's nothing about it that's there that like really makes them think, oh, this might be a threat. This might be like something that I want to avoid. It's more of just like a curiosity to them. Um, so what? So, so should, they haven't been proven to work. So is it better to have like a Bluetooth speaker blasting like Steve Miller band or what's the, what's the, it would uh, be, it's annoying to other hikers. Um, (laughs) my MO, (laughs) maybe Creed, a different band, STP too short. (laughs) What's the uh, preferred, uh, that's a good question. Yeah. I used to blast Philip glass, uh, when we were hiking. That's pretty good. Yeah. That makes, you know, I think everyone enjoys the little Philip glass. Yeah. Especially Uh, when you're on the climb, when you're getting that endorphins hit you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. I would say if, if I'm hearing music blasted by hikers, that's probably the best case scenario is like a really moving emotional score. But, yeah. um, I, you know, the, the thing that I do, my MO is kind of, if I'm by myself, if you're with a group, you're almost certainly naturally making enough noise that right. the bear's just going to hear you coming. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm by myself, 
I pay attention to any spots that have reduced visibility. So if I'm coming into like thick forest or if I'm rounding a bend where I can't see the trail, that's where I'm clapping and I'm saying, Hey bear, or wow. like whatever. You don't have to say, Hey bear, just whatever just you want. Make a just sound. yell something out. And, uh, and it does work. I mean, it, it, it wakes them up. It make it, you know, they realize that something's on its way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've never hiked by myself. I mean, I hiked in the, in the city here basically by myself and mm-hmm. it couldn't be more safe, but out in the back country, that seems like a, I don't know. I don't, people who do that. How often do you hike or hiking by yourself like that? Not that often, but even, you know, even in grizzly country, if I'm with other like coworkers or whatever, I, we try and make some noise cause you yeah. don't want to be the bear biologist that gets mauled by a bear. Has that uh, happened before? It has. Yeah. There's a number. Really? I mean, you go to these bear like conferences and there's like a couple people that are like have eye patches and shit. Oh my God. So, yeah. But that's luck. They're lucky to be alive though. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, not the, not too many of these attacks are fatal. Okay. It's, it's not that often that they are. Um, it's really rare that a bear ever feeds on someone. That's just mm-hmm. not a common thing, uh, that it's like a predatory attack. But it does happen, and, and when it when they are fatal, often it's because the person isn't able to get to medical attention in time, right? Or the bear is just so enraged that it does enough damage the person doesn't survive it, or it is predatory. Like when they are fatal, a higher than average amount are predatory. Okay. But um, yeah, they don't they don't tend to be fatal. Most people survive these things, but they um, often have you know are missing parts, yeah, <laughs> important parts, yeah. So I always thought that would be a cool, th- I mean, of all the ways to lose a finger or, a th- or an arm or something, an animal yeah. is, is definitely the best way. It's something where yeah. how that happened. Well, it's an animal did it, you know? Yeah. I just want to get like knocked a, down and have like a big claw mark across oh, my chest yeah. is what so I need. Or like, like a, get a tattoo of it or the one that goes yeah. down your face and like splits your eyebrow, you know, like that's Jonah the, Hex. Yeah, exactly. Something like <laughs> uh-huh. that. But honestly, like while we're on that topic, the the number one thing we talked about making noise, the number one thing that people can do to reduce their chances of running into a bear or or not running into one, but having a, a like a, a negative encounter, encounter that. Yeah. Negative encounter. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, is carrying bear spray. Okay. Uh, it's an it's an incredibly effective product. Uh, you want to carry it on your hip or somewhere where you can quickly get to it. You don't want it in your pack. You don't want mm-hmm. it in the packaging. You want it somewhere that's very accessible, uh, practice sliding the safety on and off a couple times before you go on your hike and just know how to use it. But, um, it, it is incredibly effective. It stops them in their tracks. It doesn't kill the bear. So it's, it's better than a gun. And also like, it's easier to use. It covers a larger area. Um, you essentially are just putting a, a wall of it in between you and the bear. So for the bear to get to you, it has to inhale all this pepper yeah. And it's just, it's a, it's a nasty, nasty product. I've, I've had to walk through it before and it just chokes you out. It's miserable. Um, why did you so have yeah, to walk through it? Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say I had to, I, I on accident, I deployed oh, some okay. and then I walked through it <laughs> and it, it, it's bad. It was like it's, 10 minutes yeah. later too. And it yeah, still I, just choked me out. I've, isn't it also, it seems like I've seen some videos of people deploying it. It seems like it's also the sound is so the sound also scares the bear. Yeah. Like, it makes like a, a loud hissing sound that noise. Yeah. Which they don't like a loud noise either. You know, mm-hmm. anything foreign to them isn't really worth the risk usually. Right. Um, so yeah, that's part of it, but it's mostly that, that capsaicin getting in their, 
okay. their nasal passages, their mouth, their eyes, all of that. It just stops them. They don't like it at all. And um, yeah. it's not just bears. It would work on a mountain lion. It would work on a moose. It would work on a dog. It would work on a wow, person. Moose. Uh, like there's a lot of uses for it. So even, you know, even if you're hiking around LA or something and you, and you it's not bad to think about. There are black bears, there are mountain lions, there's people. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I would love to see a mountain. I can't imagine seeing a mountain lion in the Burbank Hills. It's cool. That would be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I've never I seen one in California, but I've seen my, my fair share. No. Yeah. yeah they're, they're super rare to see, right? Yeah. We, we see them around. I've seen probably seven or eight around Montana. Wow. Um, okay. But I spend a lot of time outside and, and I have colleagues that have never seen them. Um, but they are, they, it's when you see one, you're just like, man, what, a, you know, I just got to see this amazing ghost that you yeah, just don't see. Yeah, it's a total see. fucking ghost. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. We're, we're talking about um, dogs earlier. And I saw this, I heard this on the radio the other day. It's just some random, you know, FM channel. They're doing like, like, did you know that this is the, the, top, the top 10 most dangerous animals? They're uh-huh. saying that worldwide, I don't remember it was like two or three, the dogs kill the most people. Oh yeah, is that I've never heard that before, and is that mostly not United States, is it? Uh, I would guess in the United States, as far as like animals that are killing people outside of like deer, you mm-hmm. know, because people are hitting deer with their cars and dying. Right. I, I would say dogs are probably number one. So how is that? Like, how come that's like, you know, we we're t- we know about all these other animals that are dangerous, but dogs is just because we're so closely related to them as far as like co-evolving that we just yeah. don't really think doesn't make the we don't think about it as much i think it's, it's like, just you know we have yet to do a dog episode because it is so it's so sensitive it's so touchy and sensitive yeah. and unfortunately there are a couple species that are much more likely to kill a person right. just because they have the the ability you know dachshund they're, they're, french bulldog yeah exactly. and charpe yeah, exactly. Those are the three. The big three yeah. is what we call the, them. The big three. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. but like, you know, you've got your German Shepherds and Pitbulls and right. Rottweilers and these dogs that that have the ability and um Oh yeah. And the thing the thing that's like I think the thing that's different here is that this is an animal that's we we've socialized with. Like they are part of our social group. Mm-hmm. And the way that their their human treats them is going to reflect on how they treat other humans and people and whatever else. And that's such an unlike, it's such an uncontrollable variable in those interactions. Like every dog that you meet on the street, you don't know what its history is and you can't, you can't really even guess at it because an animal in the the woods, like it's not, it hasn't been abused by something. It hasn't been tortured, you know, but a dog may have. And there's just that you just don't know. And, um, and there's so many of them. That's the other thing is like, there's just millions and millions and millions of dogs. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know where they are on the worldwide list, but my guess would be like, as far as larger mammals, they're probably number one, you know? Um, but I, I don't, you usually don't see them like counted in those lists. Yeah. That's that's why I was so surprised to hear that. I've never heard that before. And I guess, you know, just, that's the truth is that they are, so many deadly dog attacks. Do you think that's mostly yeah. happening with like uh, children or is it, is it? Yeah. I mean, like, it's mostly children. And yeah. then 
Um, a lot of them, a lot of them happen with like feral dogs too. Okay. Uh, dogs that have, you know, in like places where there's lots of feral dogs, sometimes there, there's these packs of feral dogs that will attack people. Like where would that uh, be? Spe- like- especially in like developing countries, mm-hmm. you see that. Um, okay. And they, they're very confident. They'll like run down people. Damn, and that's them. so yeah. crazy. Yeah. I never thought um, about that before. Yeah. In the U S yeah, I nuts. think the, the like pit bulls are probably number one. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I think the the other animals that I that I think worldwide probably kill more people are snakes. Yeah, snakes like with, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, I wouldn't be surprised if crocodiles. Crocodiles is on the list. Yeah, they might mm-hmm. beat them out. But aside from that, I would probably give it to dogs. Wow, that's so crazy. Yeah, yeah I suppose it's like that thing where did you see that movie? Um, I think it was called Alpha came out a couple I didn't years see ago. It. Yeah, it's, but I heard of it. It's really good. It kind of got like buried because of yeah. some bullshit thing with the ASPCA that was unfounded, but all oh, it took okay. was like a one sort of instance they they're claiming that. I think it's because they fed some of the dogs actual meat. Yeah. Something like that. They, they, we you got know, bigger some, fish to fry, you know. Yeah, I know exactly. Some tiny little thing and it, basically it it um it made it so they couldn't market the movie with their I don't know, some crazy bullshit thing. But that yeah. movie, so interesting because it talks about, it's a movie about, you know, the first dog-human relationship, like a cool. like a companion thing. And you think about, like, dogs being um, co-evolving with humans for such an incredibly long time that our interests as humans, dogs and humans have relatively the same interests. They want the same thing, so they always yeah. are helping each other. So it sort of seems like it makes sense that dogs would kill so many humans because also humans kill a lot of humans too. Right. That thing yeah. where it's kind of like that. So maybe that's why it doesn't make the list because it's not like humans are the most dangerous thing to other humans, but they're not yeah. listed as the most thing that most people die from attacks from other humans, not from crocodiles. Right. But it's not number one because it's not considered to be an outside yeah. attack. And it's sort of the thing with dogs. It seems like it's not really an outside attack sort of. It's like, attack from inside your family totally and it's like it's a domesticated animal you know yeah like it's it's an animal that we've changed their natural behavior to a level where oh yeah it's not it's not a wild animal anymore like we talked that they came from wolves you know canis lupus and Mm -hmm. you don't like there's never been a recorded wolf fatality in the lower 48 really united states yeah it hasn't happened or at least recorded attacks than than, Uh, uh oh yeah well, there's only been one co- co- or two coyote fatalities, one in on Canada adults. and one in the U.S. Um, on one adults? on a child in California, I think. Wait, really? Uh, like a little a little kid, and then there's yeah. been one adult woman, I think in her late teens or early twenties. We did an episode on her in Ontario, or no, um, Newfoundland, somewhere in eastern Canada. Okay. That was killed. Um, her name was Taylor Russell. She was a, like a country western singer. She was killed by coyotes. Damn. Um, yeah, but uh, outside of that, it's, it hasn't happened. Same dogs just don't, wild dogs don't really want anything to do with us. And there are some wow. exceptions. Like India has a problem with wolves killing kids. Um, but Is outside in Europe, same wolf. Yeah, same okay. species as we have. Um, Canis, Canis lupus? Canis lupus, yeah. And like Europe historically had a lot of deaths from wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the, for the most part, they just don't. They don't want anything to do with us. There was a woman who was killed in Alaska, I think in like 
2010 or 2011 she was trail or she was out running at night and a, and a pack of wolves killed her oh. um but that was the first alaskan fatality too so it's, it's not common okay yeah i didn't realize that it's just really not common at all for wolves yeah. or coyotes to i mean i've read about the coyote attacks but as far as deaths though there's just it's yeah. almost it's unfounded they're constantly testing like kids and stuff in, in yeah. Southern California and places, but um, almost yeah. always someone intervenes in time. You know, it's just, yeah, very risk averse animal. Snakes are much more dangerous. They are. Yep. Snakes. What is, what is the deadliest snake? Is there a certain snake that's the most deadly? So the one that's probably responsible for the most deaths worldwide, I would guess is Taipan? No, unfortunately. They they uh, hardly ever get people. Really? Okay, um, damn, let me guess. It's at the um Yeah, try guessing. Ooh, I wanna say it's the um it's, it's got like a red in its name or something like that. Red uh red Jason Blackjack. Um no it's the uh <laughs> it's the checkered face uh white tongue uh it's slither not. slither slither snapper. Uh it's the um <laughs> It's the uh, eastern, uh, eastern uh, North Face uh, weasel hound. <laughs> uh, all those snake names, all, they're so like, they kind of mesh together in my mind, all the crazy dangerous snakes. There's, There's a lot. So okay. I think you're thinking more of like the Indian snakes. Africa. You're thinking of the most venomous snakes in the world. Okay, right. So like the coastal taipan in Australia is mm. often considered, or maybe it's the inland taipan, the most is often considered snake. to be the most venomous terrestrial snake in the world. Because um, sea snakes sometimes They have tons grow. of venom, yeah. right? Yeah, but these are snakes that are very shy, that hardly ever bite anyone. Mm-hmm. So they're not really considered that dangerous. I think if you were looking at worldwide deaths, and I'm not sure about this, um, my guess would be spectacled cobras Ooh. because they're the most commonly encountered venomous snake in India. Okay. And that's where most of our worldwide deaths come from. Um, they they have a very potent neurotoxin that can kill a person within an hour. Uh, they are a snake that you have to be very careful around because they can be very defensive. Um, and that's why I would probably say it's them. Okay. Russell's vipers. Yeah, Russell's vipers in India are another common one. Um, And then there's like in Africa, you've got like, uh, what are they? Like puff adders, which is like a a species of adder that people step on and get bit by somewhat commonly. And then black mambas um, kill a number of people, but not that many. Black mambas, I think if you were to say like, if you didn't want to be in a room with any snake. It's black mamba. Black Mamba is number one. It does have a good name that really says, yeah. don't be with don't be with me. Black yeah. Mamba. I mean, it's... They're fast. Yeah. Their venom can kill Oof. in minutes. They're incredibly defensive snakes. And they're um, long, too. They're long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at a picture of them. It's something about the fat snakes, like the rattlesnakes. They don't really bother me as much, but the ones that are just really long... Oh, they're so like, fast too. Yeah, because yeah. it's got a small. The head is very thin and small, so it yeah. seems kind of like a, like a garter snake or something. They're they're a hard one. They're they're one that you you probably won't <sighs> even have time to get to anti venom to to Ooh. save your life. Whereas Damn. like with a rattlesnake, you you'll have a you'll have hours. To you do get to help. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, a rattlesnake rattlesnakes rarely kill people, especially adult people. I didn't it's know not that. a common thing. Um. 
I think in the U.S. we average like three or four deaths per year that's it? from rattlesnakes. Yeah, it's not many. Oh, that's um, so nice. I didn't know that. Yeah, the anti-venom works really well. It's readily accessible. It's You can use the same for multiple species of rattlesnakes. And they have... um. They have a hemotoxic venom, so it attacks your circulatory system, right? Um, which is devastating, and a lot of people lose limbs or fingers or whatever because their skin yeah. and blood vessels basically break apart. But it's not the neurotoxic ones are the ones that like go right to your central nervous system yeah. and really like fuck you up quick. Have you? So ever that's been like bit? your cobras. No, no. Luckily, I haven't. Um, I will say, like prior to the podcast. I was pretty nonchalant around rattlesnakes uh-huh. and would like sometimes handle them or, right. you know, get way too close to them. And reading, reading some of the stories and, and, and researching some of the stories we've done on rattlesnakes, you don't want, you don't want that kind of pain. You don't want that experience, even though you're mm-hmm. probably going to survive it. People describe it as being like a pain that you just can't really describe. Damn. So, um, yeah, no thanks I don't, on that. I don't want to get bit. Yeah. One of my good friends, Patrick, who's been on the podcast a bunch, he's like a professional herper, herpetologist yeah. like for the yeah, USGS. Cool. He was down in Florida uh, just two weeks ago. So he saw the biggest rattlesnake of his entire life. And that's... An Eastern Diamondback. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the biggest one he's ever seen. He's seen a lot of snakes, like more snakes cool. than almost anybody. I can't imagine yeah. how fucking big that thing must have been for him to say it was the biggest rattlesnake he's ever yeah. seen. Those those Eastern Diamondbacks get absolutely massive, like God. unreal massive. Yeah, they're fat too, like a big old, like a big old fucking I don't know, like a sandbag. Yeah, yep, yeah, and I mean with with rattlesnakes, like the bigger the snake, the more potential it has to to hit you with a really high venom load. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is. And and people have this kind of misconception about the baby ones because right, they're like, oh, they can't control their venom. The babies are the most dangerous. Yeah. You look after it's the not ba- true. Honestly, what not what the truth is is the babies are the most dangerous. <laughs> um, That's the truth. And- I was told by that by a person who's an expert <laughs> in handling and killing them is the babies is what you're gonna look out for. It's <laughs> exactly what you'll hear. <laughs> uh, but that's not the truth. And like the the thing that is true is they might be more likely to give you a, an envenomated bite, mm-hmm. um, whereas adults might be a little bit more picky about using their venom. It's right. very, it's really energetically costly for a snake to make venom. So like, if they don't want, if they if they're just trying to get away and they feel like they don't have to use it, you might get a dry bite and you're lucky. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, if you, like we did a story about a guy who had chopped off a snake's head, Uh-oh. and then like ten minutes later went to remove the head, and it bit him like the severed head. And he got the entire load, you know, Ooh, uh, and just, and, yeah, he got like 26 vials of antivenin, lost oh. some fingers, was just like, it was really bad. He almost died. I mean, Damn. they, they pulled him back from the brink. So you, you just gotta be careful with those guys. It's not fun. Don't pick them up. Don't no, I mess will with not. Them. No picking up for me. No picking up. Just yeah. looking videos only. They'll leave you alone. If you leave them alone. They don't chase people down. They don't want to bite us. They don't want to use their venom. Mm-hmm. They just want to live their little snake lives, and, and we got to give them that ability, you know? Is there any animal you have had a running with at all that, other than, like, obviously you've been around bears so much you've probably had some some run-ins, but as far yeah. as, like, animals that aren't tra- 
you know what I mean? Something that's like a smaller venomous thing or something that's, um, mm. have you ever been like bitten yeah. or, uh, been attacked by anything like that? You know, I've been, I've had with bears, I've had my fair number of bluff charges, like mm-hmm. a bite on my foot, a couple little things like that. But with honestly, the animal that I've had the scariest encounters with has been moose. Ooh. I've had like a couple moose encounters that really could have gone really poorly and uh they're just so big they are and they're they're mean as hell they know they're the biggest animal out there Mm -hmm. um and there's been there's once where i was was out fly fishing by myself in montana and i i was walking back to my car through some dense forest and i stepped down in this goalie and didn't realize that i stepped in between a sleeping uh, mama moose and her calf and she popped up and flipped around on me immediately put her head down, pinned her ears back, was shaking her head and, and breathing really rough. And I was, I was like, um, oh, I'm about to get trampled by this moose. It's going to happen. And so I slowly backed away a little bit and then froze and let the calf, the calf was like bleeding. It was bleating, not bleeding, oh, bleating. Like, yep. meh, meh, you know, yeah. and made its way in this big circle back to its mom. And then they took off, but I was really lucky with that one. <sighs> and then, uh, I've had three charges by them two while fishing and one while cross country skiing. And every oh, time you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm about to die. <laughs> like, God damn. This yeah, is going to kill it just, me. They're so big that yeah. they're they're How much do they weigh? They weigh like, I mean, they can be over like easily over a thousand pounds. God damn. You know, though I can't, yeah, I shouldn't say for sure, but they, they can be huge. They're massive animals. And how do they take you out? Yeah. They say they trample you. Yeah, like these females will just—they'll just come up and kick you. You'll fall over, and then they trample you. They stomp um, on you. Yeah, they truly just stomp you, and and they do kill people that way. Oh. Um, so yeah, usually they just stomp you until they, you're not a threat, and then they get out of there. Mm-hmm. But they have been known to kill people by stomping them to death. How many a, a year in the U.S. Um, or like in the North America? That is, do you know? I would be surprised if we. I don't think we have. Even yearly fatalities from okay. them. We have yearly attacks, or I shouldn't even say attacks. We have yearly encounters where someone Negative gets trampled. Encounters. Yeah. Okay. Um, God we're damn. trying to kind of destigmatize that word, or at least not use it as much. Um, what encounter or what attack? Attacks on our on yeah. our podcast, just because it usually is the the animal reacting to the person. It's a reaction mm-hmm. from the animal. Um, so encounter is a better way to frame it. But uh, yeah, you know, it's rare that they kill people, but it has happened. Right. Yeah. That is a crazy one. Yeah. Yeah, we did a really interesting episode on them. And um, I'm trying to think outside of that, you know, I, I'm i pretty – I've tried to be somewhat careful around venomous mm-hmm. animals. I've held a couple scorpions and have yet to get a bite or a sting from them. Um, you know, there's like these YouTube accounts of people that just go out and get stung by shit. Oh yeah, uh, that stuff is. I feel like that I stuff is kind of it. not as popular as it used to be. Yeah, that shit is so fucking stupid. It's it also, is. especially you know we know what we're talking about here. We're talking about a guy who's, you know, <laughs> we're talking about Wolf yeah. Wolf Stevenson. Yeah, exactly. Wolf Stevenson, who's just so dramatic, so yeah. goddamn dramatic, and you're like, come on, man, like let's because I you know I'm friends with um. Chris Pontius, and he had that show, Wild oh God, Boys. I love Chris, I love Chris the best. Pontius Great, so much. Greatest guy. Yeah. And I was asking yeah. him about when he got bitten by those bullet ants in Africa. Yeah. Or was it in Africa? It was in some place. It was Brazil. 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 Yeah. And um, he was like, yeah, it hurt really bad. And I'm like, 
you, you didn't pass out. It's like, no, it was really painful, but I was okay. But then you see some people, it's like weird. It's like different people have different reactions. And some people, you see those, those two guys who, who do that? One of them, one of them basically, mm-hmm. he looked like he was... The kings of pain. Like he was going to die. He looked like yeah. he was in so much pain that he just was basically like weeping for days. Like he was, yeah. it seems, I don't know how Chris was able, it's like, I don't know if it's like a different, just some, something about some your brain that's different. Yeah. I know some people react differently to those things. So we just lost this guy, um, his last name is Schmidt. I'm trying to remember his first name. Okay. But he was the guy that he created like the scientific kind of way to to um, quantify sting pain. Oh, really? And it's called the Schmidt Index. And he oh, just shit. passed away like last week or something, which oh is God. really unfortunate. He wasn't From even that old. Natural um, causes? I think so, yeah. I think it okay. was um, something around those lines. But he, he, oh, excuse me, he did it in a really scientific way. But uh, the thing about like, the thing that rubs me the wrong way with these things isn't even like the hamming it up for the, you know, like the stings yeah, or whatever. For the clicks. Yeah. The thing that's hard for me is like Schmidt did it for like the scientific consensus so people could understand the ability of these animals better. It was done in the proper methods with like the proper kind of controls and everything. These people that are doing it for clicks and for money and to like, you know, create clickbait for the internet, mm-hmm. they're stressing these animals out. Like they're yeah. going out there. Animals don't want to use their venom if they don't have to. It's mm-hmm. it like we said earlier, it's costly for them to produce it. It's a lot and they use it to defend themselves or to get prey or for whatever other multitude of reasons. And when you force an animal to do that to you, you're putting you're pushing it to a point that it's so stressed out it decides to use this precious resource that it has. Yeah, it's really and sad. It's like a thing it's you're just stressing animals so much. Right. And when you're talking about centipedes and spiders and shit, like I know this isn't a high thinking, you know, it's a reptile brain animal that just wants to survive and whatnot. But for me, it's like, I don't think it's that bad to do that to those animals because of the level of animal that they are. But if you're doing it for money, it kind of just seems a little off to me. Yeah, I I agree. I also think that even the level doesn't matter because I think sometimes it's just it's a it's a a human viewpoint like it's a from our viewpoint they don't resemble us they don't think like us so we think they don't have the same life as us when we don't have any idea we have no no way of knowing truly yeah. what that thing experiences it's and so of. why would yeah. you abuse it you're essentially abusing an animal for something but yeah, yeah it's not the, it's not hard the for greatest me. thing no and you know what I, I like i am there's some hypocrisy in me saying that because like I can't see a lizard without catching it and like taking a photo of it and then releasing it. And that's a stressful experience for it too. Like, don't get me wrong. But I think once you start doing that to get attention and money is when it's like, "Ah, I don't, I just don't know how I feel about that. I just don't know if there's no educational purpose to it really, aside from like being clickbait and getting advertisers and whatnot, Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to really get on board with it. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. That's just what, me, you know? Right. I mean, I know I, I totally agree with you. And I think that's the, that's the case with a lot of people. The yeah. one thing I was going to ask you about here is um, there's something I learned about just kind of recently. It's this jellyfish called the Irukandji. Oh, yeah. We just talked about them. You like, did? Okay. Yeah. I didn't I <laughs> yeah. didn't hear the episode. 
Yeah. What? Well, that's a great advertisement for the for uh, Tooth and Claw, but um, yeah, those they seem like super mysterious. Like they're they're so small, and mm-hmm. people say this is the most painful thing that exists, right? The most painful bite that exists is it Irukandji? Yeah. Thing? So uh, Urukandji is like um, it's a type of box jelly. Okay. So they are a box jellyfish, which so they're in the box jellyfish family. Yeah, there's dozens of species of these of box jellyfish, and they happen to be one of the smaller ones. They're about the size of a thumbnail. They're so um, small. They're tiny, and box jellies in general, the ones that are the ones that are particularly venomous, are known to have possibly the most potent venom of any animal on the planet. Okay. Um, that's hard to measure because like venoms are so different and varied. Like we just talked about, there's like hemotoxic and neurotoxic and all Mm -hmm. these different things. And box jellies have a neurotoxic venom. Um, And when you, when you make contact with them, even these little tiny ones, they have these four, they they have like a a bell that's their main body. And then there's these stalks that come off each corner and they can have up to 15 tentacles on those stalks. So when you make contact with that, you might be making contact with up to 60 tentacles and then on those tentacles, there's just hundreds of thousands of these stinging cells. And all of those stinging cells have these little harpoons that they shoot into you that they inject fire, venom. right? Don't they like yeah. have a physical mechanism of firing? Yeah. They, like, it, actually it's, go off like a little gun kind of? Yeah. And it's not necessarily like contact that makes them do it. It's like this chemical um, response that they get from like oh. skin. And so it hits and it fires and they're they're just getting hundreds of thousands of these little venom harpoons in you and then the crazy thing is they leave a lot of them behind too that are unfired so Uh when people like rub it and stuff it causes all those other ones to fire or if you pee on it or do all these other things that you're not supposed to do it'll cause them to fire um so like with the urukanji it happens to be one of the most venomous but because it is so small, it's rare that they are fatal. There are some other box jellies that are responsible for a lot of fatal incidents. The urukanji, it's not common that they're con- that they're contributing these fatal ones, but it's incredibly painful, and it can lead to this really weird syndrome that has all these long-lasting effects in the uh, people, too. That shit's um, crazy to me. Like, neurological effects. Mm-hmm. So, um, with them, like, this is just a brief thing that I learned. If you ever do make contact with a jellyfish in the ocean that you know you're feeling a lot of pain uh vinegar you want to get vinegar on it as quickly as possible because it actually disassociates the proteins in those stingers that are causing the pain and uh and or in the venom and it'll it'll bring you quick relief and then like a um a cold water no sorry a hot water bath like getting in hot water as quickly as possible will also dissociate that venom so and then getting to medical attention too yeah that stuff is, yeah. When so I saw cool. that, the air conjures, it's just, it's so crazy that something so small can cause so much damage. Yeah. It just makes you think about like size being like a non factor to so many things yeah. because all that really matters is the, these, these chemicals. And you think yeah. about like LSD or something. Like LSD is such a small, like the, the molecular weight of it is so, 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 so small, but it can have such a great effect when introduced totally. in a certain thing it's like the same as that where we have this tiny this tiny thing that has such a minute amount of chemical that can cause someone to die not of not of like they don't bleed out they don't have like a, their heart doesn't stop right. they die of overwhelming pain 
Yeah. Like they're, it literally, they're dying from the pain. Yeah. It breaks down like your blood vessels and the pain is so intense that it, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like doing that episode and learning more about box jellies. That was one where I was like, man, this is one I never want to see. Like mostly the animals we do, I'm like, I at least want to see this animal in the wild. Yeah. I don't care to ever even see a box jelly. No. I don't want to come into contact with them. They can do their thing, but I, yeah. Yeah, and interesting, you said the size thing, like scorpions are another good representation of that. Like the bigger the scorpion, the less venomous it usually is. Mm -hmm. It's those little yellow ones that you have to watch out for, like the bark scorpions and whatnot. Those are the ones that really get you. So are there bad ones like in like the West here, like in California, like in the Eastern Sea? They are. Yeah. So, uh, they're commonly called like bark scorpions or Arizona bark scorpions. Um, they've been responsible for a few fatalities, usually, uh, like younger, older people, but they are, they're one that if you get stung by, you want to go get some, some help. I woke up, uh, we were camping by Mono Lake uh, a couple years ago. You know, we drive up from California to go camping with a couple friends. Yeah. And the first night, I usually camp by Mono because it's an easy place to camp. You know, it's just, just all BLM land. So I woke up. We were on like a, almost like a beach area. I woke up and I had my boots right next to my head. And I pick up my boot and there's a, scor- a, little, a little scorpion right underneath it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. That's cool. It's right by my head, like inches from my head. Yeah. We just did a, a Black Widow episode and it's coming oh, out this cool. weekend. Um, nice. And it, like, that's one that likes to crawl into people's shoes. Yeah. And so you just, like, those little creepy crawlies, you got to make sure that, like, you need to know they like little dark spaces and you need to give them their space or else you might have a really painful sting. I do always check my shoes. The ones that leave outside, I always knock them out. That's smart. Yeah. Even yeah. though I kind of wouldn't mind getting bit by one just for the story of Black yeah. Widow. I don't think it would take <laughs> me down, would it? No, it wouldn't. It's It's really... That we haven't, there hasn't been a fatality for like over a decade. And before that, the last one was like 1983. It was a child, right? A toddler? Um, I don't know about the 83 one. The one in, oh. I think it was 2011, was a woman, but she just didn't get, they could have stopped it, but they didn't realize what it was. Okay. Um, they don't really kill people anymore, the, at least the American version of them. Um, yeah. It, you just, but it's, I like, People that get bit by them say it's the most intense pain they've ever experienced. So you don't want to get bit still. Yeah, okay, maybe not. I'll skip that. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we go, Wes, I want to ask you, um, just like in general, what do you think about like the current state of like ecology in terms of the world and also then like United States? Like where where are we sort of, I mean, it's such, such a super broad question, obviously, mm-hmm. but you know, people talk about a lot of uh, like habitat loss and species loss and stuff that's been happening. Obviously, that's going on. But what is your current like thought on on things of that matter? Yeah, it's pretty grim. Okay. Cool. Like, cool, man. Okay, thanks. Uh, I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, you know, in general, I think the 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 positive things are we are learning so much more about animals and about. Um, and about their, you know, their natural history and how they survive and everything, that it's creating much more empathy for for wildlife. And I think people in general care much more about the health of their ecosystems and wildlife than they used to. I think mm-hmm. that is, I think it's higher on people's list of things they care about than ever in history, um, as far as like in a positive way. Uh, I think the downsides are we're facing. A lot of habitat loss, which you brought up, like just us 
you know, I think that one's just kind of unfettered capitalism in a lot of places where right. we value profit over, um, over, you know, wildlife and over a healthy ecosystem. And that's something that animals just can't compete with. That's people care more about money than they do animals. And right. I just don't think it's an easy solution for that. And then I think the big one is just this overwhelming, um, kind of dark cloud of climate change okay. where it truly, there are very, very few species out there that will not see a negative effect from climate change, um, that aren't already seeing negative effects from climate change. And there's obviously some that are the poster children for it. You know, you got like polar bears right, right. and animals like that, where it's a very visible kind of easy to conceptualize effect that it's having on them. But just about everything else, like this is quick, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling here, but like, no, it's fine. you know, people sometimes are like, why don't they just adapt to new things? And there are animals that are able to do that, like coyotes or black bears that are very like plastic in their ability to adapt. But we aren't giving these animals the time they need to figure that out. Like mm-hmm. evolution is a process that takes thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years right? of multiple generations of animals, like testing things out and animals getting good at it and passing those genes along. And you can't expect that to happen in such a short period of time. We're yeah. giving these animals decades to figure this out and it's not enough time and it's not fair to them. And, um, there are, there's some really bright spots out there of people that are doing amazing, like the African wild dogs is one okay. amazing conservation work to help really tangible problems. But, um, yeah, I don't know, man. It, it's, it's tricky. We, we live in a world that's focused on making money and that's not a good thing for animals. Yeah. What made me think about that is I have read something years ago about how the oceans will, uh, in the future, if things keep going where they are, we'll just be overwhelmed with octopus jellyfish. and jellyfish. Yeah. And the idea of the oceans being filled with jellyfish is, is just it's, you know, terrifying. It's, I don't want to yeah. have a jellyfish everywhere. So there's like certain species that will become dominant, right? So species that are like, what are other species like on the land that you think will be yeah. like jellyfish? Well, they were, they're so insulated from... They're so adaptable that they can... The ocean thing is more a a problem of like, we are pulling all of those fish out. We're pulling everything out to eat. Like that's not that they're dying off from natural causes or like a changing environment. It's that we're truly just over harvesting. Like it is over consumption. Yeah. yeah, Like at unsustainable levels. And when you remove every other fish, the only thing that we're not eating is jellyfish. jellyfish. So that's the reason. And we're taking all their predators and stuff too. So it's just kind of like that's what's going to be left in the ocean because it's the one thing we don't want to eat. Got it. Um, I stopped eating seafood over a decade ago. Just really? Because okay. It's such a huge issue. God, and it's, it's so, so crazy hard to you find sustainable that. seafood. Oh yeah, yeah, it's unreal. It's what keeps me up at night. Like I, I global warming, all of that stuff is really scary. Overfishing to me is terrifying. Um. So I, yeah, I, I can't do it anymore. I'm not saying you can't, but be really smart about making sustainable seafood choices because the oceans are in trouble. Um, but as far as land animals, like it's just, it's preserving the thing that we need to do to give them a shot is preserving connected habitat. Um, like we fragment their habitat at such a high degree that like they're, that you fragment these little populations of animals and then they don't have the kind of gene flow they need. Right. Okay. Yes. Right. That's what to like when, have, I was, 
Yeah, go ahead. No, no, when, go ahead. When I was in Kruger, that's what they were saying about the rhino. We got to see uh, right. a black rhino. Oh, white rhino? Which is more endangered, the white or the black? Uh, white rhinos are more endangered. Okay, yeah. so I saw a black rhino. I think. There. I think oh, it's, now I don't know. I'm pretty I'm, sure it's I'm the black rhino is more endangered, and okay. we saw a white you rhino very, right. yeah. very close up for like about an hour just watching it munch and stuff. And, and the guy was saying how the big danger, obviously poaching is a huge danger to them, but what they said, what she said was that probably they're not going to be around in 10, 20 years because there are going to be such few numbers of them that their gene pool is going to be so small that they will exactly. die of inbreeding, essentially, because exactly. you can't breed, have a wide enough pool. And it's just, that's like the most sad fact of it is the fact that you have these animals that are alive, but they're dying because they're just been so limp, such small numbers that they can't survive in a healthy way. Right. And so yeah, the, the solution for is, that is is connecting those habitats. Like you mm-hmm. have a black rhino population at the you know northern South Africa, and then you've got one in Zimbabwe. You got to move you them need around. To create, you need to create a corridor of undisturbed habitat for those animals to be able to walk back and forth. You know, and that's hard. That's hard to like. When you have developers where that land is worth hundreds of millions of dollars and you're yeah. saying, hey, you know, we're going to give you instead this conservation easement where, you know, it's worth so much to keep that land open. It, like the nature of capitalism doesn't allow for that. Right. So it's it's tricky. It's it's something that people are working on. It's something, again, that like I think the published public consciousness is realizing we're losing these animals mm-hmm. and that, you know, we're, it's unsustainable what we're doing to them. But, um, unfortunately I, I just don't, I don't have enough faith in human nature to like, to give you a rosy outlook. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. I guess I just yeah. more like, uh, I kind of feel the same way. I also think that even it's one of those things where it's like your, like your laundry, you don't do your laundry. If you have, it's going to take, well, it's not even like laundry because you can just do your laundry when it's dirty, but it's the kind of thing where we can't just decide, oh, we've we've killed all these animals. They're, they're not surviving. Let's do something about it. It's going to be yeah. too late. By the time it, we really feel it, it'll be too late. Yeah, and I, the issue is it, it, it requires sacrifice from us, oh, yeah. and, and we're not a species that loves to sacrifice for other species. So yeah, it is hard. Yep. But there will be some animals that make it, and... Uh, a lot of these things we're not going to see in our lifetimes, but uh, it, yeah, unfortunately, it it's not a super rosy kind of outlook. Yeah, man. Yeah. The podcast. It's a great way to end the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great way to end it. I yeah. definitely want to. I really want to try to get up there and do. Uh, when is the kestrel? Uh, the kestrel banding thing. When does that happen? Yeah. The so American I. Kestrel? I don't work with that that company anymore just because I moved away from salt lake um, right that's hawk watch they're great oh, so cool. and they do kestrel banding throughout um this late spring and summer okay and they do accept volunteers so hawk yeah. watch is a great one to look into i'm and gonna get up there ever, this time yeah we'll try and meet there and i i could probably try and pull some strings to get you oh, on hell that. yeah yeah that'd be great yeah. man yeah let's well, it was do great it. talking to you wes i appreciate you it you too yeah everyone gotta check out fun. the podcast tooth and claws the only podcast i subscribe to All right. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I love it. it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.